Good afternoon, Ms. Martinovich. How are you? Am I saying it right, Martinovich? Martinovich? Yeah, you're pretty right. Welcome to People Tech and Other Weirdness, the not so serious soft serve podcast. Here we collect stories from our people about their roles and rules, game changing decisions, wins, walls, and falls. You'll hear about technologies from those who create them. Let's see who we have on today. Hey, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. My name is Solomia, and I'll be your host today. A little bit about me for starters. I'm an executive communications lead here at SoftServe and have been with our company for more than three years now. Today, we'll talk with Chris Baker about engineering and music, business, talent, and innovation. And we'll start with the short intro. Okay, I hope you like it. Man, rock and roll, man. Let's go. So let me introduce myself. Uh, so uh, I am uh, Chris Baker. Chris is short for Christopher, my uh, full name. And uh, I am Chief Executive Officer of SoftServe. I've been uh, in this role for a little over five years, I think. And prior to that, I was a member of the Board of Directors. And prior to that, I was a member of an advisory board uh, for SoftServe. I have, um, I have an education in electrical engineering. So I like hardware things. I like building electronics. I've always had a attraction to software. And uh, for many years, I was a software developer myself. Uh, originally in C, a little bit in C++. I still write a little bit of Python uh, just for the, my hobbies and activities around the house. But I tend to be not a kind of a typical CEO. Um, I like to dig in my yard and, and build things. And, and uh, I run a 3D printer in the basement all the time, building all kinds of parts. I you know spent a lot of time on a farm as a child. So I tend to be the guy that fixes his own car and changes the oil in his car. I like to get involved in all kinds of things, all kinds of things. So uh, could you please share a little bit more about your childhood? I know you have the huge family. Yeah, so I grew up in the state of Indiana, which is um, south of Chicago in the Midwest. Uh, pretty flat, you know, the glaciers came through and lots of cornfields and bean fields and very agricultural. In fact, the university that I went to, Purdue University, uh, its major focus area is uh, agricultural studies. But they also have a very strong engineering school. And in fact, Neil Armstrong, the first person on the moon, uh, went to the same university that I went to. So electrical engineering and aeronautical engineering, mechanical engineering, those are all uh, important. But my father went to school at Purdue and my mother went to school at Purdue. She was uh, I, I believe the first female ever to enroll in chemistry. And uh, they met there and got married and had a very large family. So I have 10 brothers and sisters, seven brothers and three sisters. And one of my sisters is adopted. So my youngest sister was uh, adopted as an orphan um, uh, when, so that she would have been the, the ninth child or something like that. So they had a bunch of children they adopted child and then still had a couple more children after that. And the great thing about this family is it, uh, you have a brother or a sister that does like anything. 
It's like if you need, or a brother-in-law or a sister-in-law that does anything, if you need a carpenter, if you need a car mechanic, if you need a computer programmer, if you need an artist, if you need, it's like, I've got a brother or a sister that does that. So it makes quite a family to be able to rely on our, our family to help each other, which we do a lot. Being a member of such a huge family did forge you as personality in some way. Yeah. You know, they joke about people being a middle child. I am the middle child. I have five older brothers and sisters and I have five younger brothers and sisters. And that as a child, you learn skills to sort of bring people together when there's differences and such. And that personality, I think, comes across in the jobs that I, uh, I take and that I do. When I find opportunities to bring people together, I, I try to do that because it's kind of the, the nature of what it what I am. But I would say another personality trait is because we were such a big family and my father, you know, did not make a lot of money, uh, that we we were very practical and very hands-on. And that's, you know, that's an important skill. When in business you tend to have finite resources and you have to deploy those resources, money and time and all of that in a way that produces the best return or the best opportunity for everybody. So that, that comes across a little bit. I also remember you were in the top list of uh, CEOs uh, in Forbes uh, this winter. And one thing you mentioned there that the big family teaches you to be inclusive, to be inclusive of different perspectives that there are. Well, first off, I, you know, that I was honored by that award, but it had, I think, little to do with me and a lot to do with SoftServe, you know, who SoftServe is and all the great people that uh, make up who we are. So I think collectively, they were kind of saying, look, SoftServe is one of the amazing companies in Eastern Europe. And it is, right? It's, it's obvious. But in this family, and when you think about how big my immediate family is, so my brothers, my sisters, their husbands and wives and their children, it's over 60 people now. And, you know, you really, to, to stay close, you know, you, it has to be such an inclusive environment. And you know, the Midwest of the U.S. is uh, is a little calmer than the East Coast uh, and, and maybe Silicon Valley. So everybody was just trying to help each other out. And I hope that that comes across uh, in the way I lead companies as well, is we're, we're in this together. We're going to do this together and accomplish it together. And it feels uh, like this in your leadership, when you're talking to people, to our associates, it really feels that way. So engineering, uh, what, what led you to this choice? Why, why did you choose engineering as your education? Yeah, well, that's a, it's a good question. I, uh, I actually like music as much as I like engineering. And it was a choice for me about whether to go down the music path or whether to go down the engineering path. And I would say that ultimately um, the timing of where I grew up in the universe, I mean, in this time period, I was 13 or 14 years old when the very first computers were coming out, the Commodore 64 and the TRS-80. And eventually when I was uh, in upper school and high school, they brought out the first IBM PC. So the timing of that technology hitting when I was at the age where I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, it just kind of, it was so attractive to just think, oh my gosh, look at this PC. You can write software and do different things. So uh, I think that timing led to me moving to the technology route because there wasn't anything as new and interesting in music, but 
I still love music. It's still a big part of my life, but engineering fits how I think. You know, I've been conducting a lot of training in the Future VP program. And in the Future VP program, we talk about the difference between kind of personality types where there's a line and then there's sort of mist. You know, mist tends to float around and line has a, is a... I'm more of a line, right? And the engineering fits kind of the line. We tend to see probably engineering and music on different parts of the... Like, they are just different, you know? We don't seem to perceive them as something very similar, like how our brain, how our mind reacts to them. But uh, because you know music and because you know engineering, I'm sure there are some similarities that you encountered into it. Well, I, I think of music as being very structured and, uh, and, and in some ways very scientific. And then you add to it, you know, the, the artist on top of all of that. So I, I don't know that I ever got to the stage of being able to be such a great artist but I got to the stage where I, I liked the mechanics of music and the science of music. And uh, so that I, think it, I think you're right. I think it does play to the same part of how my brain feels. There is one quote that I particularly like, and I wanted to read it to you. Sure. Here on Earth, objects rest on top of one another or are surrounded by air or other fluids. This connection serves to transmit energy from one thing to another. Sounds can be explained as the flow of energy in the system, beginning with the source and ending with the furthest reaches of the system, where sound energy eventually becomes heat. Somewhere within this system, our ears or a microphone might observe the changing energy patterns. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, I... Um, I tend to personally uh, believe that it's not as simple as we talk about it or make it or analyze it. Uh, and especially as an engineer, it's, it's easy to sort of break it down into the components and take a, a scientific view to it. And, you know, the, the years that I've had living uh, have shown me that the connectedness is more than what we see. And I think that that, without getting sort of like too deeply philosophical about it, I think the connection to uh, the everyday, and in fact, the connection to our business, is that that connectedness is necessary for the system to work. And when we look at our business and we're growing so fast, it's really easy to sort of end up in our own little world and listen to our own sound and not listen to the sound of others and not have that energy and that um, just that those, those feelings kind of get across. And our challenge will always be to understand that, you know, we need to keep our, our ears and our eyes and our minds open to the system functioning. I mean, I was uh, watching David Attenborough uh, ha has a Netflix special um, or maybe I'm sorry, it was an interview I was watching last night that he has a special coming out and, you know, he, Sir David Attenborough is, is the science or nature reporter for the BBC. It has been for, I don't know, 40 or 50 years. And he sees the connectedness of the ecosystem better than anybody because he sees from 40 years ago what the rainforests were like and what they're like today. And he quotes, he's a founding member of the World Wildlife Foundation. He quotes that in the last 50 years, the World Wildlife Foundation believes that nearly two-thirds of all species on the planet have disappeared. 
in the last 50 years. And that leads into the statement of, it's not that we're going to ruin the planet. We have already ruined the planet. We already have. And now we have to make the choices of whether we want to give it a chance to breathe and recover and such. So he has such a strong view on what connectedness is and what it means that when we think about just our everyday lives and how we interact with each other in the hall and how we think about this strategy and this client and this job and all of that, I, I can't prescribe any solution, but to say that that connectedness, that interdependence, the ecosystem, it, we all need each other to, to keep it healthy and working. And uh, that's harder and harder as we get bigger and bigger because we have more and more to do and more complex things to think about. But we, you know, to quote Hillary Clinton and, and her famous book, you, it takes a village. It just, it takes the village to make the whole thing work, whether it's raising a child or running a business. Quick growth is also, it's, it's bringing the opportunity to have more impact. And I think that with SoftServe, we can see that in the way how we're interacting with our communities, with all the charity work. Another thing about connectedness is you cannot not care because you can see the full picture and you cannot stay unempathic to things because you understand that you are the part of the whole. And um, I think what's really great about SoftServe and what makes me personally proud uh, to be working at this company is to see that the company realizes how the interconnection can bring the good impact and bring good uh, on even on local levels for education, for any uh, environmental activities, actually for, for everything that we are being part of. You know, I, I'm so happy that you kind of made that connection because I completely agree with that. I'd even go further. It's not just the work we do with open eyes, not just the work with you know, good paying jobs and everything else, but the work that we do in software is changing the world also. You know, we told these stories about the carbon reduction and the how we've enabled and rewrote the whole engine for remote telemedicine. So during COVID, we were enabling all these people to see their doctors that they couldn't have seen them before in COVID. So it's like that impact, uh, the connectedness leading to the impact as we get bigger and the, the major impact, it is astonishing on what a great impact that we have in the world. And we just don't talk about it enough. And, you know, I hope we talk about it more and more because, man, these projects are not projects that are a waste of time. They're helping people. And not all projects that we do are like that. But more and more, we're leaning into the projects because there's so much demand. We can start to choose the kind of projects we want. And I want to do projects that, I mean, this, uh, this is going to sound like I'm talking corporate speak, but our mission is enabling talent people to change the world. And that's what choosing good projects and great talent and great people, bringing them together, that's what makes it all work. We believe talent exists everywhere. We want to find it. We want to bring the skills up very strong and then match them with these challenging projects that make the world a better place. That's what our mission is. And uh, I think the so much demand and so much growth allows us to be choosy and therefore accelerate our mission and not say, oh my gosh, we need to take any business at all, even the boring stuff or the old stuff or the stuff that's not helping the planet. 
because we need the revenue. That's not our case. That brings me to another question. As you mentioned, there is the complexity coming in game. As we grow, need to take complex decisions. How are you taking decisions? What are your algorithms for taking decisions? Well, I, you know, I got to be honest. Uh, as we have become a big company, and, and let's face it, we're we're big, right? We're a big company. We're, uh, I think, right at the point of hiring our ten thousandth employee. And uh, um, prior to being big, you sort of want to be opportunistic. If you spot something here or spot something here, you want to go get it and figure it out and build it. And it's kind of cool, except you know you you're good at the first part, but not the second part. And as we've become big, I've worked to adjust the way I make decisions so that I'm saying, does this fit where we want to be in five years and where we want to be in three years? Or is this just kind of cool now, but it won't be in the future? And it will actually be an anchor that kind of pulls us down as we go. So more and more, I'm shifting the way that I think about decision-making to be consistent with a future that fits that mission we just talked about. You know, that says, find the talent anywhere in the world, grow the skills, match them up with cool projects, accelerate people's career and accelerate the positive change to the world. So I'm not sort of explaining the algorithm anymore because I'm, it's easier these days. It's easier to say, look, we want to do the things that lead us to that mission that we described. And it's only possible because we're in a crazy market where everybody's doing digital transformation. Everybody's building software. Everybody's coming out of COVID and going, wait, what's our digital business model? And they go, they need people like us to accomplish that, not just to program it, but to even think about it. And it's cool that we've got a lot of you know, new departments forming that are working through digital strategy and, and working through the thinking of what a digital business looks like for some of these companies that have been around for 100 years. So I didn't really answer your question specifically. I'm just trying to say that it's becoming easier to make decisions because we have clearer and clearer principles and priorities based upon our mission. As we are growing and uh, accelerating, uh, we are like, we are adding innovation as a service, as, as a function. So it, it becomes a part of our, our culture. And we really try to grow through innovation. What's the role of innovation for you as you are conducting your role, as you are leading the teams? Uh, where is in your, in innovation on your agenda? You know, uh, that's a super complex co question because it's easy to answer uh, every business problem with, you just need to innovate. And uh, it's, it's a lot more complex. I mean, we are a big ship moving through the ocean at 13 or 14 knots. And innovation often says, well, let's go this direction. Let's go do this thing. And, and this ship has a certain momentum that it's hard to sort of change that. But you can send off a little boat and, and go pursue something and try it and come back. But do you want that boat to go off and pursue something that helps the big ship or causes the ship to move? Um, it's really, really complicated. We spend a lot of time with uh, the strategy management office right now, and the board of directors kind of going through this. So 
I would say the following. Uh, innovation comes in different forms, right? You, you might say there's kind of continuous innovation, which is kind of like in continuous improvement, right? What are the little things that you can do today to make what we do better? So it might be some you know, process or configuration or uh, adjustment to an agile team that continuously makes us a little bit better to do it what we do today. And then there's the innovation, which is in the adjacent spaces, which is maybe we're innovating a new service that like, you know, Matt has done with digital strategy. That's on next to experience design and what all of that is. But then there's innovation that's, that's way out there. And it's, it's not even close to what we're doing. It's thinking about five years ahead. You know, should we be innovating an entirely virtual marketplace for talent or, you know, things that are, you know, just really several steps from what our core business is. And we need to do all of those, but we can't put all of our emphasis on the five years. We can't put half of our emphasis. uh, We need to balance that, right? It's probably 70 or 80% on continuous innovation. How do we make what we do today better? And then probably 20% on what are those adjacent spaces? And then maybe 10% on what's really the stuff that's way out there that we should be thinking about and doing. I agree with you that innovation is also, it's a lot about thinking and it's a lot about exploring the unknown. And even if it doesn't take you anywhere at this moment, at this yeah. Uh, point it's it helps you to grow in different dimensions again it's very interconnected it's very about how you think how you build on this muscle that will allow you to grow probably in other services probably in other areas but uh it's a muscle this was an interview with chris baker soft serve ceo before i go i just want to say thank you to our amazing podcast team for making this possible And to you, our listeners, for being with us. We'll see you soon. Bye. It was super interesting. Thank you, Chris, for this wonderful conversation. I'm looking forward to the next one and the next topic. Thank you, Solvian. How do you think this is going? (laughs) 